and I'm excited to dive into our message today. Uh, we Last week, we talked about Christ-centered relationships, and so this week, we are going to be going into mission-driven relationships, and then next week, we're going to be talking about weakness-defeating relationships, how we overcome the weakest areas of our life in relationship. That's going to be a gooder. And uh, we're also going to be talking about covenant-keeping. How do we protect the, the sanctity of marriage, and how do we protect uh, how do we protect our relationships for those of you who are singles? Every week we will be talking about aspects that apply to both married and single people, so you will not be left out. I promise you. Well, no, that that's that legitimately happens when we we do series like this. The question is, is there a place for me? Right? Is there a place for me to to grow? Is there a place for me that people are going to talk about my life. And so I just want to let you know that you are not forgotten. You are here, and we are excited to dive into this series. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I was reading the news. I'm a big hockey fan. Any hockey fans in the room? All right. So great. And uh, Canucks lost last night. Still just dealing with that. Um, so uh, I was just reading up on some news, and I, I was surprised to see that uh, two Chicago Blackhawks players, Jonathan Taves and Duncan Keith, got into a fight in their practice. Um, they both played for the same team and just thought, man, let's just have it out at practice one morning. And I just got to thinking, like, why is it that we fight each other? Like, why are we playing on the same team, even in church, and yet we fight each other? Or why in our marriages are we connected, yet we fight each other? Right? And, and when we think about this more, we know that fighting each other is not helpful, However, we can quickly turn against each other when things get difficult or challenging. When everything's going fine, man, it's easy. It's super easy, right? It's easy to do marriage on vacation. Well, <laughs> depends who you're married to, right? For me, vacation's our sweet spot, okay? But we have to put work into the other days. But even last week, as I discussed praying together, it was amazing to me how many people started having conversations around their spirituality, which led to further conversations, which led to further conversations all around the conversation of prayer together. And if we're not careful, if something like prayer isn't a habit or budgeting isn't a habit, the number one felt need in a marriage is money. If we don't get these things under control and understand that when they're challenging or they're difficult, if we don't understand these things, then they'll blindside us and we'll be reactionary. Rather than being proactive, we'll be reactionary. And so last week we talked about Christ-centered relationships. This week we're going to be talking about mission-driven relationships. And if you're taking notes, uh, we have those handouts, really nice cards, relationship goals is on the front. It's all pink. Even if you're a guy, guys wear pink now, okay? It just happens, okay? So you can grab one of those. You can open it up. We got four icons on there. Last week we talked about Christ Center. This week we're, we're talking about mission driven. And I want to say this as we begin today, is that the bedrock of a godly marriage isn't happiness. That is not the bedrock. The goal of a Christian marriage is not happiness. It's unity. It's unity. You see, in Genesis 1, 27 through 28, this is what we see from the very beginning. It says, so God created mankind in his own image. A couple things I want to say there. It didn't say that God created just man in his image. Both men and women are equally created in the image of God. Women are not a lesser species. Both are found in the image of God. Both are important both, okay, 
are connected to the image of God. Not God himself, but the image, like God. In the image of God, he created the male and female. He created them. Let's go to the next verse. So God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. We all know what that means, okay? You don't normally teach this one in children's church. It gets a little confusing, right? But fill the earth and subdue it. Fill the earth and subdue it. And so your mission, should you be willing to accept it, is to multiply and conquer together. But you need each other to do this. It's about teamwork. That's a no-go word in my house. We have to use partnership, duo, squad, on mission together. The reason we can't use team is because Destiny's parents, when they would discipline her, that's my wife, they would say, but we're on the same team. And she's like, but you're disciplining me, right? So it's just, we don't, no fly zone on the team word, okay? But we need each other. We need each other to get where God wants us to go. And then it says in this next verse, let's go to Genesis 2. It says in Genesis 2, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. We all know those parents that try and hold on to their kids and try and meddle. God tells us that it's about creating new families, the two becoming one, and the two are united into one. You see, God never said, and the two will be happy for the rest of their lives. I actually saw something funny on Instagram. There was, uh, I took about a month and a half off Instagram, went back on, and then I instantly regretted it, and then now I came back on two days later, okay? I just, I just there was too much going on, okay? But what we often see uh, at the end of these Disney films, right, is they, they like go away in the cart, and then you see the screen kind of shrink, and then it just disappears to black, it fades to black, and then you all just assume that everything went well. But I saw some guy at the end, uh, he, he kind of carried on the stories of all these Disney characters, and it was hilarious because none of them turned out well, right? But, but here's the thing. God never says, I created you, and I created marriage so that you would be happy. Happiness and joy come out of a marriage, right? But God's prayer and God's heart for marriage was unification to conquer and subdue. It was about being together. It was about being united in one mission. The same is written about and spoken about by Jesus in Mark 10, 6 through 9. It's reemphasized that we are to, the two become one. And that is why we leave our father and our mother. We have to establish something new. This is the great journey that every person, uh, or most people take, right? When they, when, they, when they get married, right? Is they, they, they jump out of their parents' house and they commit to one another and they leave what was and they go to what is. And so that is the, the hard work of establishing a family. But here's what's interesting about these verses. is just a few chapters later at the book of Genesis. What God sought to unite Adam and Eve, evil tried to divide. You see, the enemy came and disrupted their relationship to God. The enemy came and distracted them from their mission. The enemy came to destroy their unity. You see, the, it says in the, the text that a serpent came, and many people are like, talking snakes, this is interesting. Genesis is full of interesting imagery and, and, and metaphor, and even in the beginning of Genesis, when we, we see this language, a lot of it is poetic in its nature. What we see is that uh, we see this serpent 
come and try and divide what God had just brought together. And so too, thousands and thousands and thousands of years later, we still see marriages that are divided. We still see this disunification around sometimes the silliest of things. Because what God meant to bring together for good, evil came to try and divide. And the very first thing that happens is the serpent comes and begins to talk to Eve. And this is what he says. Did God really say that? I mean, did God really, really say all that? Did, does God really want that for your life? I mean, does God really want you to have it? Does God really want things to go well? Is it really good? You know, like, is it really easy? And, 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 and can, it, can it, we find joy again? And can we forgive one another? And can, can we, we keep moving forward? Did God really say that we, we should be together? Did God really say, and in this particular moment, not to touch that tree? Temptation was there from the beginning. That's a whole nother sermon. That's a whole nother sermon series that I cannot touch today. Why is there a tree there, Josh? That is a sermon series, okay? But what God said is, you can't touch that. You can't go there. And the serpent came to say, did God really say? How many times do I see in marriages, did God really say? Somebody's tempted. Somebody goes in and grabs the fruit that they weren't supposed to grab. And something doesn't go quite right. That was metaphorical, by the way. What God united, evil divided. In Amos 3.3 in the NLT, it says this. Can two people, and I think we have the NIV here, but do two walk together unless they have agreed to do so? In other words, if you want to have a marriage that's united, you have to actually be agreeable to do it. It has to actually be intentional. It doesn't just happen because you pray. There has to be conversation and intention around it. You choose to walk in the same direction. And sometimes that's hard. Why? Because there's so many directions our life can go. And there's constantly things that pull, that pull, that pull, that try and disunify us. But here's the deal. Is when we walk in the same direction, the potential for our lives are limitless. But what is division? Let's just go there. I'm just going to pour on the heat a little bit, and then we'll resolve some of the tension, okay? What is division, though? It's, it's two visions. That's what it is. And what happens in marriage is too often there's not enough communication. Why? Because communication is really hard. I need you to know something, that the truth is always offensive. That's why it's the truth. If the truth wasn't the truth, it wouldn't be offensive. Why? Because the truth is sub it's, it's exclusive. When it's true, it means that it excludes other options. Therefore, it's the truth. So when you have conversations about your truth, you have conversations about the truth, or you have conversations about direction, these conversations generally are going to be more offensive than other conversations. So it's like, oh, I can't believe you got offended again. Well, did you speak the truth to somebody that wasn't living it out? That is offensive. That's why it's offensive, because it was the truth. And so when we get into these conversations, there are, we don't have the conversations. The reason is, is because we, we've tried to have them before, right? Or we've, we've tried to make them happen on the fly. And whether you're single or you're married, you know this, right? When you try to have difficult, challenging conversations with people, it can go one of two ways. Really well, but difficult right? Or really bad and difficult, right? 
Now, this is going to sound a little bit funny, but I do a lot of self-talk in my life. As a matter of fact, when I go into any big conversation, um, I have a leadership coach that I talk to about all big conversations. Even in my marriage, I will call up and just say, hey, what do you think about this? And we'll talk it through. But then I do a lot of self-talk. I'm like, if I say this, how does it sound out loud? And I've just began to have conversations with myself. Okay, I know you might say, this might sound ridiculous to you, but I have half an hour conversations in front of people every single week because it's called preaching. You don't think of it that way, but I'm literally having a conversation with myself in front of all of you, right? <laughs> That's what I'm doing right now. But how many times have we practiced our communication skills? And I know life's busy, I know it's full, but just a couple of things when it comes to communication to practice the conversation. Be intentional about what you're, what you're going to say and make sure that you're being articulate. If you haven't thought it through, maybe just take a little bit more time. Choose a time and a place that works for both of you to have the conversation, not when you're tired, not when you just put the kids down and you're frustrated at 10 o'clock at night because the kids keep coughing, or not when you just came back from that conversation with that friend and you're rattled or work's really difficult. Don't have it then because you're more susceptible. We have to learn how to communicate, and communication, all, honestly, this brings the most division. It's when we get crossed wires. And so, again, we want to bring it back to unified vision. I'm not going to go into much communication today. There will be other weeks to, to unpack that. But what is your marriage about? So if you're single or you're married, ask yourself the question, what is your marriage about? Most people go, um, uh... I read Paul, and he said, if you burn with lust, just get married. So <laughs> it was hard. I, I couldn't keep it together. We got married. How far is that going to go? Let's be honest about it. It's like, that's what I read. It's biblical. Bad application. Bad application there, okay? But one of the greatest challenges in marriage that I see is when two people are together, but they're not unified. The greatest work that we do in our marriages and in our relationships is unifying around a common mission. And so we see a great example of this in the New Testament. There's this couple that's found, and they're not, very, they're not talked about very often. As a matter of fact, if you grew up in the church, most likely you read over these names, but you didn't actually hear much teaching about them. But they're, they're, they're pretty interesting characters. And they actually play a big part in the early church. And we see this in Romans 16, verse 3 to 5. It'll be on the screen right here. It says, give my greetings. This is Paul writing. Give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila. That's pretty cool, right? Rhyming names. My co-workers in the ministry of Jesus. I mean, how cool is it that Paul, who plants all these churches, who's shipwrecked, he does all these crazy things for Jesus, he has co-workers. Oh, I thought he was on a solo mission. I thought Paul did it all by himself. No, co-workers in Jesus. In fact... They once risked their lives for me. Whoa, I didn't. There's people that risked their lives for people. Yeah, and I am thankful to them. And so are what all the gent, oh, so close, Gentile churches. It's French, okay? Gentile, right? It's not, it's not French. It's not French. We just missed that, okay? But so are all the Gentile churches. In other words, Gentile churches, just to give some context, is those that didn't grow up in the Jewish faith, the Jewish tradition, and 
they came to Jesus. They didn't have any background of the temple. They didn't have any background of the traditions. They just came to Jesus. And here's a couple on mission, marked by Jesus together, risking their lives, supporting a man in ministry who's single. And all the Gentile churches are celebrating them. What are they doing in their marriage that we can learn from? I want to see, let's go to this next verse. Also, I give my greetings to the church. Look at this. That meets in their home. They risked their life, right? They supported Paul on his missionary journeys, and they opened up their home. You see, we, we see church buildings all the time in the West, right? And we have no clue what's happening in places like China, where the church is absolutely exploding in people's homes. There's like two 16-year-old girls that find pages of the Bible and lead hundreds of people to Christ nowhere to, nowhere to meet. And so they just find places. They find places and they hope they don't get caught. And that's part of the story of the church today. And so we see this, right? We see that from the very beginning, there was people that were on mission together. They support Paul's ministry. They risk their lives. They run a small group. Come on. They're Christ-centered and they're mission-driven. This is what we see. We see that they've obviously intentionally lived their life and they're unified in a common mission together. And look at the impact they have. For them, they made it into the scriptures. That's the impact that they had on the early church. Now you might be sitting here and you're like, okay, Josh, I'm not married. How does this apply to me? If you want to be in a Christ-centered marriage, live a mission-driven life today. As Andy Stanley says, and I botched the quote last week, so I'll nail it this week, become the person you are looking for is looking for. I want a godly spouse. I want somebody who has their finances in order. I want somebody that prays for me. I want somebody that serves at church. I want somebody that loves this. I want somebody. Are you becoming that person? I remember when we, Desi and I, we first started dating. I was like 16 years old. I didn't know what was going on. I remember we were talking about the other day, I bought my first pair of new clothes at the age of 16. I didn't grow up in a very wealthy house. And so I remember I bought myself these bright yellow pants. Like when they moved, it was like, like seriously. And then a super tight black shirt. I'd never bought new clothes before. Nobody ever told me how to buy them, okay? I was just like, those are bright and that's black. That sounds good, All right? But my room was a mess all the time. And I, would, I was horrible money management skills, like horrible. And I brought, I, I figured out how to clean my room uh, at the age of 16. This sounds just ridiculous to some of you. But what it taught me was that if I'm going to bring discipline into my marriage, I have to start taking responsibility for the little things in my life now. Because I wasn't very responsible in our finances going into our marriage. And Destiny, finally, we would create like $1,000 of savings. And I would just blow it on like a new gift for her. It was like salt in the wound. She'd worked months, years, and I'm like, well, there's money in the bank. Let's blow it, okay? Just devastated her every time. And I remember one time she says, fine, fine, you want to spend all the money? I'm like, yes, I do. I want to spend money. She says, fine, take care of it. 
And you know what? It was at that time, I still remember, we were sitting in a worship service like this, and I was sitting in the front row, and I was worshiping, and God said, I got big things for your life, Josh, but if you can't control your money, I can't trust you with people. You either get that in order, or you're going to limit your life. So I was like, whoa, okay. So sometimes we, 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 we only think of God in the loving sense that he agrees, he's agreeable for everything. But sometimes he's corrective in a place where he wants to produce character in us. So if you're single right now, become the person you're looking for is looking for. Have you ever noticed that it's easier to prescribe changes for other people than it is for yourself? Have you ever noticed that? I am like so good at telling somebody else how they could change. And yet I am so blind to some of my weaknesses. Anybody else in the room? Thank you for the four of you. And for the rest of you that aren't telling the truth. But this happens in the church, right? Just be honest. It's that church or it's that guy. or We're so good at pointing out the things that, that aren't quite right. In our marriages and our spouse, it's so good. I can point out all destiny's flaws. Wow, what a useful gift. <laughs> it's not, criticism is not a spiritual gift. It's actually not. It's a weapon used by the enemy to divide. We have to learn how to be the best at working on ourselves. Did you know that you can only change one person by the work of the Holy Spirit on this earth? And it's you. You can pray and you can trust God that he'll change others around you. And you can give wisdom, but it's up to that person to change. But we all have the responsibility within our grasp to change. And so I said it last week and I'll say it again today. You don't build a life centered on Jesus in the future on a foundation of sin today. What are some parts of your life that aren't quite where you want them to be? Make war on your sin. Like just make war on your weaknesses. Like we make war on others, why don't we make war on our weaknesses? Why don't we put that energy rather than like stewing about everyone else? We use that energy to make change in our own life. Serve Jesus like crazy. Follow Jesus and the leading of the Holy Spirit. So ask yourself this question in your marriage. What is your mission? Not just to have kids, but raise godly kids. Don't just busy yourself up with sporting events and, and trying to get them to get perfect marks and be the popular kids or just trying to force them to be something they're not. Love your children and nurture them. Pray for your kids. Fathers, read the Bible and pray in front of your children. Mothers, take that extra time. And I know it's hard. Like we had a kid that was sick for 10 days in a row. And it was like we were locked in our house and it was a prison, right? It's hard. But here's what I know. Is that we don't just want to raise our kids. We want to raise godly kids. Do we want them to excel? Yes. Yes. But what we want more than that is for them to love God and serve God. And when we ask, it's easy to say, well, then I know what I want for my kids. But here's the question. What about you? Because you're the greatest example that your children look at. I want my kids to serve in the house of God. So I serve with all of my heart in the house of God. Not because I'm a pastor. 
That's not why I do this. I do this because I'm called to it. But I love the church. But if we barely get to church, and we always skip the God-related thing for something else, we communicate something to our children. We need to be on mission. Where are we serving together as a family? What can we do together? Do you serve? Maybe you're like, well, Josh, I just don't like the serving in church thing. Fine. Find somewhere else to serve as a family. Teach your children that life is more than just about you. We do this by action. If your vision is to take care of yourself, and that's, there's no problem with that. I think self-care is a good thing, depending on your personality type. I neglect self-care. I need to take more self-care time. Some people will just, all they do is self-care. And they need to get out of that a little bit to see the bigger world, right? But if it's not here at Center Church, then where is it? Our vision has to go beyond ourselves. If we want kids that are going to change the world, it has to be more than about us. How do we instill that? We show that. We model it. And so two things that unite. Are you still with me this morning? Two things that unite. A common enemy and a common mission. So ask yourself this question in your marriage. What do you both love? And what do you both see as an injustice? What do you both love? And what do you see as an injustice? If you love community... And you can't stand people being alone. Like, oh, you're sitting there, you're like, I wish this person had a friend. Maybe you could start a small group. Maybe you could host a small group in your home. Or maybe you love being generous. And you see people in financial hardship, and you could actually help give them the tools, or you could help give them a hand up. And you want to just teach people to be generous. Or you yourself want to fund things that you are passionate about money is the number one number one felt need and cause of divorce today usually because there is no unity around it we all want something different rather than having the hard conversations to unify around something remember money doesn't care about you it's amoral money reflects our heart so what you do with money reflects more about you than it does about money. I had to learn this the hard way, right? Jesus tells us if we want to take care of the things of God's kingdom, we have to take care of the things of this world first. And, that's, uh, and so we have to take care of things like money or relationships, things like that, right? And when it comes to money, I think what's really interesting, and, and we often do this, and we do this every year as a church. We just finished our last fiscal year, and so we review what's happening financially. But I do this in our house, too. What do our finances tell us we care about? Because your finances tell you something about the condition of your heart. I know there's other things that are amoral. Your car doesn't care about you, okay? But it says something about you. My cars say, I don't care about new vehicles, okay? I actually don't. I don't like depreciating assets with all my heart. And so I'll put my money into appreciating assets 
because I don't need to prove anything with my four wheels. But you might like cars. <laughs> I just don't, okay? I just don't like, like, I see a sports car, and I'm like, doesn't mean much. But a Star Wars little figurine? Oh, that's just... <laughs> I'm like a crow, you know? <laughs> but honestly, I actually think that money, the reason it divides so many marriages is because it's, it, it, it reveals so much about who we are and our truest self. And so when we come to those conversations, we have to understand we're not just talking about money, we're talking about our heart. Maybe you feel like you, you, you love blessing marriages and you, you dislike marriages that are crumbling or getting divorced, and so you want to step up and be a marriage mentor. Maybe you love cooking and you make meals, and so you hate people feeling alone, and so you invite people over to have a meal. Maybe you're really good at making money. That's not bad. That's a really good thing if you use it the right way. So you live beneath your means to be more generous to the world around you. Maybe you host an immigrant family. Maybe you, um, you help a couple walk through unfaithfulness. Maybe somebody lost a child and you come alongside them. Maybe you mentor a business leader. Maybe you lead a financial peace class. Maybe some sort of physical CrossFit ministry. Is CrossFit still a thing? Don't know, but you could do it, okay? Maybe it's Celebrate Recovery, some sort of 12-step program because you've been through it. I don't know what it looks like for you, but have a common mission. Unity doesn't always mean you are the same, but me unity means that you are together. Don't just share an address. Don't just have a sex life together. Don't just exist in the same home. Don't just love the same sports team or the same vacation areas. No, live a Christ-centered, mission-driven marriage. Driven by problems, that's what we normally reactionary, but no, we want to be driven by purpose. Not just focused on what we want, but focused on what God wants for us. Not just pursuing our own uh, identities or our own desires, but pursuing God's destiny for us. So why are we going to get married? Let's not do the, uh, um, I don't really know. Let's have an answer. And I believe the answer should be to glorify God in our marriage. God wants you united, not untied. What, it is that, what is it that you love? Pursue that with all of your heart. And if there's an injustice in the world that you see, and it's probably something that I don't see or somebody else doesn't see that you're so passionate about. But God has put it on your heart. So what is it that you love? mixed with that injustice, then live out your values and serve the people around you. Remember, we are meant to multiply and we are meant to conquer and subdue. There is a reason we exist. There is a mission that God has called us to. And so I want to call us, church, to glorify God together in our marriages. Last week, I asked you, to pray together every day. And if you miss one day, what are you supposed to do? Get back on the horse, ride the horse the next day, and pray again. Right? I don't know about riding the horse. Whatever. <laughs> but I ask you to pray every single day. Every single day. And maybe some of you, you heard that last week and you didn't do it. Maybe you had that conversation that you've been waiting to have for a long time. Or you had a conversation and it didn't go well and so you didn't pray. I just want to say, get back on Get, I was going to say, get back on the horse, whatever. Get back on the horse, okay, and start again. Why? Because you're never going to know 
what God has purposed for you if you can't hear his voice and lean into his voice and hear his leading? You just can't. Part of the equation, yes, you can read God's word, the Bible, yes. But it's through the voice and the leading of the Holy Spirit that he directs our lives. And so if you're going to unify, if you're going to live out what God has called you to do, to conquer and to multiply, and to bring glory to his name, if that's what we are trying to do, then we must learn to pray. For those of you who are married, don't wait another week. Don't wait another day. Let's press in again and let's continue to try and get before God together. For those of you that are single, pray, 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 right? Sure, pray for a spouse if you want a spouse. That's awesome. That's good, right? But get in the habit of prayer and then begin to ask yourself this question. What is the mission of my life? What is the thing that God wants me to do? And to bring clarity to that, you say, what is it that I love? And then it goes to what injustice do I see in the world? Which leads to, uh, which leads to how am I going to serve that need? And at the very beginning of The Purpose Driven Life, Rick Warren uh, writes these words. He says, it's not about you. And those are hard words to live. Why? Because for much of the world, it is about you. It's about your happiness. It's about what is going to happen in your future. It's about your money. It's about fulfilling your desires. And this is not the coming of God's kingdom. God calls us to a new way of life. So pray, pray, pray. I was just going to sing a Taylor Swift song. The Christian's going to pray, 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 pray. I don't know. Just... <laughs> If you're praying this week, pray for me, okay? This. But ask this question. What are you giving your life for together? What are you giving your life for together? If you're single, what am I going to give my life to? And allow that to be the direction in which you go. And I can tell you right now that you can hear as many messages on a Sunday, but until you begin to apply that and, and you begin to take those steps, you're never going to see what God wants to do. So begin to take those steps. Begin to pray. Begin to define what does God want us to do together? And what does God, if you're single, what does God want me to do with my life? You begin to answer those questions, and man, you begin to see some awesome change take place. Two, become one. Called to multiply and conquer. That's what I pray for your marriage.